2: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: From high atop the Jack Jack Memorial Reading Throne here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library within the Wilds of Connecticut. This is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer in chief, Michael Ian Black. I've just had some leftover homemade tomato tart or tomato, I suppose, since this is of course an Anglophilic literary podcast tomato tart recipe by Ina Garten Uh, we made it oh I don't know actually Martha made it I didn't make it Um, because it involved making dough and she's very good at that and I've never done it so I she handles all the dough duties I make the dough, she spends it. <laughs> Just classic husband-wife stuff. But uh, I did have some of the leftovers. Now, the next night, I made for our anniversary dinner, Coco Vin from Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which was a considerably more complicated recipe than her little tomato tart. For lunch today, Martha just ate the, re- the remaining coco fin. So I bring this up to make the point that I'm an excellent cook, but also to make the point that uh, the last episode we were uh, discussing, as we often do here on the podcast, the nature of convention, the nature of rules the letter killeth as it, as it goes. So I was thinking, oh gee, you know, what, what would I have, would I have lived my life differently? Did, am I too so bound to the letter that I have uh, unwittingly fallen into a trap of my own devising? What if I had just thrown caution to the wind and just set out, to break all the rules, to be an iconoclast, to live an unbound life, what would that have looked like for me? And the truth of the matter is, I, if I'm really honest with myself, I was never going to be that guy. I like to think I could have been that guy, but you know what? I like domesticity too much. I like making the occasional coq too much. And so for me... You know, I might have problems with some of the rules. I might have problems with a lot of a lot of shit, but I'm probably not the guy who's going to be squatting in a house on the lower, uh, you know, like in a a townhouse on the lower east side, uh, you know, throwing eggs at the police and causing a ruckus. I'm not an anarchist. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know. See, the, the see the difference between Thomas Hardy's day and our day is that, especially for Sue, but also for, G, well, for both of them, their options were so limited. And, you know, despite the fact that we're living in, uh, you know, a proto-fascist state, our options are still pretty varied. We still have a lot of options. We can do a lot with our lives. We can travel, for example, in a way that they couldn't easily travel. We can educate ourselves in ways that they could not. We can self educate in ways that were, that were much more difficult. I mean, consider how difficult it was for Jude even to get books uh, in Latin and grammar from Phillotson when he was a boy. Very difficult indeed. Now you can just go on your phone. You know, learn all the Latin you want. Just get on your phone. In 10 minutes, you're speaking Latin. So it's difficult. It's not an apples to apples comparison when you think about the options that they had versus what we had. Also, the kind of theological state that they were living in. You can't say England was a theocracy in the 19th century. But at the same time, it seems like the church was such a prevalent force in everybody's life. I imagine in particular for uh, people of Jude and Sue's class, that it would have been nearly impossible to escape the careful scrutiny of the religious-minded among them. And we've seen that throughout. We've seen the scrutiny that they've been put under and how respectability seems to matter above all else and keeping up appearances and, and putting on some kind of facade about your life. Now, that aspect of it remains with us. The keeping up appearances, the facade Except now our facades are just posted online. You know, you just, you, you, you put a filter on your shitty life and you post it to, uh, to the Insta and hey, next thing you know, you're a billionaire. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it is, impo- it, it, it is impossible to feel like, you know, I have lived an unbound life. I certainly haven't. I mean, I'm a homeowner in Connecticut. What is more bougie than that? Nothing. Nothing. So Jude has come to to Sue. And when we left last time, you know, Jude is on death's door, essentially. He's come back to Mary Green. He's in the church of Mary Green, this new church, this church that has replaced the old. And he's moved into the church and he waits for her. She shows up and, you know, they they have a little back and forth. And then Jude delivers this blow to her. He says, Sue, Sue, you are not worth a man's love. That's where we stopped last time. So I'll just pick up from there. <laughs> her bosom began to go up and down. Now I'll just stop myself because, uh, I am a fan of any mention of the word bosom. It's just a good comedy word. Bosom sounds funny. It's got the B sound. It's got the Z sound. It, uh, it, it refers to boobies. Boobies are always going to be funny. So thank you, Tom Hardy, for starting us off with a laugh. Her bosom began to go up and down. I can't endure you to say that, she burst out. In her eye, resting on him a moment, she turned back impulsively. Don't. Don't scorn me. Kiss me. Oh, kiss me lots of times and say I am not a coward and a contemptible humbug. I can't bear it. She rushed up to him and with her mouth on his continued, I must tell you, oh, I must, my darling love. It has been only a church marriage, an apparent marriage. I mean, he suggested it at the very first. So, I mean, we're getting, I mean, quite a little turn of events in one paragraph. He says you don't deserve a man's love. She's ready to walk out the door. He says that. And now, you know, the the switch has been flicked, so to speak. Unlike Arabella, whose flitch has been thicked with Sue, her switch has been flicked. Don't scorn me. Kiss me. Kiss me lots of times and say I am not a coward and a contemptible humbug. So... She, he has reignited in those words that pilot light that she had almost succeeded in su- extinguishing herself. She says, We've been married, but, but only it's just a church marriage. It, 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 we haven't done it, you know, we haven't done a thing. It was his idea that we just, we, we, we keep up appearances. We live together, but we go back to our old ways. We have separate bedrooms. It's just, you know, it's just a thing for him to get ahead and for me to clear my head. So he, he suggested it it at the very first. Jude says, how? She says, I mean, it is a nominal marriage only. It hasn't been more than that at all since I came back to him. Sue, he said pressing her to him in his arms he bruised her lips with kisses if misery can know happiness I have a moment's happiness now now in the name of all you hold holy tell me the truth and no lie you do love me still I do you know it too well but I mustn't do this I mustn't kiss you back as I would But do. And yet you are so dear. And you look so ill. And so do you. That's Jude saying. And so do you. There's one more in memory of our dead little children, yours and mine. There's one more what? Yet you are so dear. You look so ill. And he's saying, You do too. There's one more. In memory of our dead little children, yours and mine. I'm not quite sure what he means there, but it it says, The words struck her like a blow, and she bent her head. I mustn't. I can't go on with this. She gasped presently. But there, there, darling, I give you back your kisses. I do. I do. And now I'll hate myself forever for my sin. No. No says jude let me make my last appeal listen to this we've both remarried out of our senses i was made drunk to do it you were the same i was gin drunk you were creed drunk either form of intoxication takes away the nobler vision let us then shake off our mistakes and run away together well, what is he thinking? He's practically dead from the consumption, and now he probably gave it to her, slipping her the tongue in the way that he did. Why you slipping her the tongue there, Jude? When you know you're dying from the consumption. I don't think what Jude has is catching, but you know, it seemed funny. No, again, no. Why do you tempt me so far, Jude? It is too merciless. <sighs> I've got over myself now. Don't follow me. Don't look at me. Leave me for pity's sake. She ran up the church to the east end and Jude did as she requested. He did not turn his head, but took up his blanket, which she had not seen and went straight out. As he past the end of the church she heard his coughs mingling with the rain on the windows and in a last instinct of human affection even now unsubdued by her fetters she sprang up as if to go and succor him but she knelt down again and stopped her ears with her hands till all possible sound of him had passed away. Wow. Wow. You guys, she just, she can't even deal. All right. With that, let's take a break. Dear listeners, we're back. And as you just heard, A tender moment between Sue and sickly Jude, and it seems like for Jude, this really was the best possible outcome. All he needed to know before putting that other foot in the grave is that Sue still loves him. That love, however flawed it may have been, has sustained him for lo these last 300 and something pages. It is that love above all other that he has craved, above even the love of God against whom he turned his back. Can we then say Sue is his God? Perhaps. I don't know. Does he worship her? Almost certainly. Almost certainly he does. And Sue I would imagine, you know, she says, I will, I'll hate myself forever for my sin, having kissed him and having confessed her love to him. I imagine that she too will find some private moments of solace in the months and years to come. As her nominal husband, Phillotson, works his way back into society and climbs that ladder of success. But then Jude has to go and say, let's run away together like an idiot. You're not going anywhere, stupid. Hey, stupid, you're not going anywhere. You're too sick. You're not, you're you're probably not even going to make it back to the train. You're going to fall face down in the mud and die. You know, let's run away together. What are you thinking? You dumbass. But, you know, you got what you came for. You came for love, you got love, now you can die. He was by this time at the corner of the garden, from which the path ran across the fields in which he had scared Rooks as a boy. He turned and looked back once at the building which still contained Sue, and the building, of course, being a church A new, colder church, a church with no affection towards him other than it holds her. And then went on knowing that his eyes would light on that scene no more. Yeah, we all know that because you're going to die. You're going to die. You gon' die, Jude, you gon' die. There are cold spots up and down Wessex in autumn and winter weather, but the coldest of all when a north or east wind is blowing is the crest of the down by the brown house, where the road to Alfredston crosses the old ridgeway. Well let's let's remember that Brown house, that point of demarcation in Jude's life where he would go and look out and see Christminster or imagine he could see Christminster in the distance. That brown house, one way led to Christminster, the other way, if he took the road less traveled, led to Arabella. And the life that she held for him. It is the crossroads, that brown house. It is the place where, you know, the devil comes to make his deals. And Jude, sadly, fell in with the devil one day when a pig dick slapped him about the face. Not too far from there. It is that brown house where just on that hill i believe where uh his relatives were once hung for reasons that we do not know it is right there it is that spot where the fate of folly may finally come to pass let's see Here the first winter sleets and snows fall and lie, and here the spring frost lingers last unthawed. Here in the teeth of the northeast wind and rain, Jude now pursued his way, wet through the necessary slowness of his walk from lack of his former strength, being insufficient to maintain his heat he came to the milestone and raining as it was spread his blanket and lay down there to rest before moving on he went and felt at the back of the stone for his own carving remember he had carved uh uh i think the word thither Or something like that, on that milestone, meaning that he he was pointing towards Christminster. This is where I am going, he had said. It was still there, but nearly obliterated by moss. He passed the spot where the gibbet of his ancestor, and Suze, had stood and descended the hill. That's where his relative was hung. It was dark when he reached Alfredston. Okay, so he's not dead yet. All right. I made a prediction. The prediction didn't come to pass. I thought he, wouldn't, he wasn't going to make it past that brown house, but he did. So I'm the asshole now, right? I'm the asshole. That's what you're thinking. You know, I got so much right, but because I didn't predict the exact spot where Jude the Obscure would lay his bony frame and die, I'm the asshole. Okay, fine. Judge me accordingly. It was dark when he reached Alfredston, where he had a cup of tea the deadly chill that began to creep into his bones being too much for him to endure fasting. To get home, he had to travel by a steam tramcar and two branches of railway, with much waiting at a junction. He did not reach Christminster till ten o'clock. End of chapter eight. This is a brief chapter. There's another chapter after that fairly brief. And so I almost feel like, you know, I should stop because, you know, we're in episode 72 right now. I want to go, I want to make it to 75 and end it there because that just seems like a good number, a goodly number upon which to end. Um, But I'm, I'm invested. I'll read a little bit more, just a little bit. Chapter nine. "'On the platform stood Arabella. "'She looked him up and down. "'You've been to see her?' she asked. "'I have,' said Jude, "'literally tottering with cold and lassitude. "'Well, now you'd best march along home.' "'The water ran out of him as he went, "'and he was compelled to lean against the wall "'to support himself while coughing.' You have done for yourself by this young man, said she. I don't know whether you know it. Of course I do. I meant to do for myself. What? To commit suicide? Certainly. Well, I'm blessed. Kill yourself for a woman. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's a pretty casual conversation they're having about Jude's incipient death. He's like, I'm basically, you know, he'd been sitting in, at their house in Christminster and said to himself, by gall, I'm going to go see Sue one more time, even if it kills me. Or really, I'm going to go see Sue one more time, especially if it kills me. And yet there was enough of the old Jude in him to suggest that they run away together once he saw her. Now the question that comes to my mind is what if she had said yes what if sue had said all right you know what you're right jude let's run away together would he have lived would his love for her have been strong enough to resuscitate his fading health i like to think yes i like to think yes but knowing hardy now as i do probably not you know she would have been like all right she would have told Phillotson, uh, you know, and then uh, she would have taken one step out of the house with Jude, and then he would have keeled over and died. And Phillotson would be like, fuck off, as they say in the popular HBO show, Succession. Fuck off. Fuck off. I don't watch Succession. I watched uh, the first, let's say, three, four episodes, something like that. And then the wife and I grew uh, wearied with it. Now I know I, apparently people are just falling in love with it all over again. I can't quite bring myself. I can't quite drag myself back to watching it. I mean it you know all the performances terrific I you know I know it's terrific etc 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 and yet ugh, I don't care. I don't care. I'd rather read Thomas Hardy to all of you. Listen to me Arabella. This is Jude now talking. You think you are the stronger, and so you are, in a physical sense, now. You could push me over like a nine-pin. You did not send that letter the other day, and I could not resent your conduct. But I am not so weak in another way as you think. I made up my mind that a man confined to his room by inflammation of the lungs, a fellow who had only two wishes left in this world, to see a particular woman and then to die, could neatly accomplish those two wishes at one stroke by taking the journey in the rain that I have done. I have seen her for the last time and i have finished myself put an end to a feverish life which ought never to have been begun and now he's echoing the words of his dead aunt who repeatedly in the first part of the book said it would have been better if you hadn't been born or if you died along with your parents and jude as a child will do has internalized those words. And now he's spitting them back at Arabella in agreement with his aunt. It would have been better if I had never been born. Look at all the misery I have caused in this world. I have made you miserable, Arabella. I made Sue miserable. I bore children who are dead because of me. When you look at it that way, it's kind of hard to escape the conclusion that maybe it would have been better if he'd never been born. I mean, I don't mean to sound harsh about it, but geez, the guy really made a mess of things. And yet we love him, don't we? Yet we love poor, miserable Jude. We love him for all that he strived to be. We love him for trying to do in one generation what it normally takes three. Those are his words. We love him for his, uh, his brashness as a young man and for his quiet, abiding love for Sue. Although it wasn't always so quiet, but once they finally got together, it was a quiet, abiding love. And we love that he, that he stuck to it. He found what he was put on earth to do which is to love Sue. And then he never gave that up, even in his dying breaths. Lord, you do talk lofty. (laughs) Lord, you do talk lofty, says Arabella. And yeah, he does. To communicate with the spirits, you sometimes have to talk like a spirit, even if you are of the earth. And Arabella lets him know. You do talk lofty. will not you have something warm to drink? So she's being affectionate here. She is being gentle in her way. No, thank you. Let's get home. And also, let's take another break.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: back on obscure joined now in the memorial library by my wife Martha you know Martha she's mean to me you want to say hello
2: um
0: <laughs> literally all you have to do is say hello hello okay you did it this is a part where and if i and, and now i'm afraid that i sounded mean to you because that sounded curt and i don't mean to be curt jude is t- saying to sue who has left him everything's a disaster And and they're kind of reflecting on what their lives might have been a little bit. Had they not been so bound to the conventions of the day. And I was, I was musing that if I wasn't so bound to convention, like what would I have done differently in my life? And I was just wondering what you would have done differently in your life if you could do anything again.
2: Oh, I would have been less insecure and done something really like amazing.
0: What what would that be?
2: Anything, whether it's being an ex- tr- expert on something, studying and being an expert on something
0: or... But you do that, You but you are an expert.
2: Traveling uh, far and wide.
0: You did that? Or
2: not really. <laughs> I don't know, just being courageous enough to really go for something that you were interested in and really be good at it.
0: So do you feel like you, you felt bound by certain, uh, rules or perceptions of rules that held you back?
2: Um, yes. Perceptions of myself and what other people thought of me. And yes.
0: So in that way, I was, I was saying on the podcast that times have changed in so much as, uh people do have a lot, many more options than they used to have. You can kind of do anything that you, that you want to do without too much judgment. And so it seemed to me like maybe the Victorian era and this era were a little bit apples and oranges, but you're saying maybe not. Maybe you felt some of the same pressures.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's that different. I mean, obviously there's extremes, but um, and maybe it's different for young people now.
0: I have noticed uh, a change in you since I met you. I've molded you well. I feel like I've, I've really um, shaped you into the person that I wanted you to be.
2: Um, really? Cause you're always complaining <laughs> about me and I, how I talk that to is, you.
0: That is so not true.
2: About how I talk to you and how I, how I order you around. And, well, that's true. Um,
0: I do complain about you ordering me around, but in fairness, I complain far less about you than you complain about me.
2: You complain far less about me than I complain about you. Um, Do you agree with that? Uh, I would agree with that.
0: Okay, good. Because, because, because my, my great fear is that I end up looking like the asshole instead of you looking like the asshole. And I would much prefer that you look like the asshole. So if you complain about me more, that makes you look like the asshole. Cause, cause, because the listeners are on my side because I've been in their ears for the last 72 episodes.
2: Well, of course.
0: Right. I mean, not, and, th- not and, that it's a competition. And,
2: and you're the famous funny guy. That's and right. I'm not. So that's So right. why would they be on my side?
0: That's exactly right. And again, it's not a competition, but if it were, I think I would be way out ahead.
2: Right? I mean, like you've got the dog lady to laugh at you. And then all of a sudden she's like, hey, yeah, I'll give you that dog. And to me, she gave me like the riot act.
0: We're considering adopting a dog. That's what, that's who the dog lady is. And we're going to go visit this dog tomorrow and we'll see. We'll see. So one of us has a, a much higher enthusiasm for adopting a dog than the other one.
2: Well, now I'm getting cold feet.
0: Oh, <laughs> if you want to cancel, that would be great.
2: I'm sure you think that. That would be awesome. But see, anything that's a little bit of a risk is scary.
0: Right. Well, that's see, now we're, now we're getting right back to the topic, yeah. which is, as you just said, going for it. And now I'm convincing. my. Now you're making me think that I actually want this dog when I know that I don't.
2: Um, well, then I'm not really making you think that.
0: Well, you know, I feel bad. I feel bad because I don't really want a dog. But then I kind of feel like, oh, maybe I should want a dog. And then, you know, am I betraying? Am I betraying the memory of Jack Jack, who used to accompany me here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library?
2: Um, I don't think you can betray a memory. I mean, he's not coming back. so You don't know that. I wish he
0: was,
2: (laughs) but he's not. So. Right. It's more a question of what does Oli want?
0: Right. Oli is our other dog.
2: Who's kind of sad.
0: Oli has been a little bit morose since Jack Jack died. Um, Now you may say, well, maybe you're just reading into that. And I would say, yep, Yep. Maybe one of us is just reading into that.
2: Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I'm not a dog whisperer.
0: He's currently laying by my feet. Now, Oli is not normally allowed into the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library when because because he wants to get up on the couch and he's a big dog and he makes a mess of things. In fact, when I went to the grocery store this evening to buy ice cream because you made me the high school kid at, at the cash registers as he was ringing up my, the gallons of ice cream that I was embarrassedly buying.
2: I almost asked you to buy me tampons too. And I was going to text you. And then I thought, oh my God, that would be so embarrassing for him to buy gallons of ice cream and tampons. (laughs) I would have. Oh my God. You would have been like, they'd be like, oh, you got your period
0: early. (laughs) Is that why you're buying so much ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) Is
2: that why you're buying? I
0: thought that'd be funny. I mean, I guess it would have been. And I would have done it. That wouldn't have been a problem. So anyway, the the guy, the the kid who was ringing me up said, "Oh, you must have pets because my sweater was covered in dog hair." And oily hair. Um, Well, yeah. All right. One last question: If you had to do it again, would you have married later?
2: Um, I don't think it's about marrying later. I might have had kids later. Oh, really? Um, and yeah, and kind of gotten more of a real career going first, uh-huh. I kind of did it ass backwards. Hmm. I didn't work and then I went back to school and then started doing something. Uh,
0: yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for women, I, that's mean, I a feel a little
2: bit of at a deficit, you know, having done that, right. but um, no, I, I still have the same problems, though, of of insecurity. So I don't know that any of it really matters.
0: Right. So I guess, in the end, the most important. Basically,
2: thing, I wish that I was just
0: a, a different person. A different person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in my head, like, oh, that cool lady that I worship. I'd, like, that's what I want to be.
0: What cool lady is that, though?
2: Well, that cool lady that that I always point out to you. Anyway, we don't need to name names,
0: but. But wait, I don't know what. I'll cool show you
2: lady. her picture later.
0: All right. But she's got problems. Well, whoever that cool lady is that you're referring well, to. I,
2: that she, doesn't matter to me. She's got she's, the deep
0: insecurity that you have, too.
2: She still has done a lot of cool stuff in her life. All right. I haven't really. What do you mean? Well, this is not. We don't need to go into this anyway. So what was. what? How does the book
0: end? I don't know. Uh, I'm okay. not done. I'm okay. not done. I I mean, Jude is on death's door. That's all I know. He's going to die.
2: Oh, what does he have?
0: Like, I, I don't know. They never specify, but I just call it consumption.
2: That's tuberculosis, you know?
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just call, I just, uh, if, that's if what they used to call if, it. Yeah. If you're sick in the 19th century, you have consumption. That's, that's just, that's what everybody yeah, has. There's a lot of things nope. to have. Nope. That's you, just, you
2: could have died of a cold. He,
0: well, he's basically dying of a broken heart, essentially. That's what yeah, he's dying. I know.
2: With. I remember that part.
0: Um, And, and so, yeah, he's going to die any minute now. And, you know, on, I, 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 he's, he was having one last meeting with Sue. I thought I would have one last meeting with you before this podcast ends. And there we are. So what I've learned is that you wish you were a different person.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I do.
0: No. No. Why not? No, because that's sad.
2: I'm not saying I don't like myself. I'm just saying if I could do it over, I'd be a different person. Oh, Oli, stop it.
0: See, this is why Oli's not allowed. He's he's snuffling into the microphone. All right, I'm going to end this. Okay. I love you. Love you too. That was sweet, wasn't it? We're sweet. You know what? We're a, sw- we're, we're a sweet, cute Adorable, older couple. We're we're those old people swinging on the porch swing, watching the joggers go by, and saying mean things about them as they go by. Okay, I'm going to read just a smidge more here before we say goodbye. We are with Jude and Arabella still. They went along by the silent colleges, and Jude kept stopping. What are you looking at, stupid fancies? I see in a way those spirits of the dead again on this my last walk that I saw when I first walked here. What a curious chap you are. I seem to see them and almost hear them rustling. But I don't revere all of them as I did then. I don't believe in half of them the theologians, the apologists, and their kin, the metaphysicians, the high-handed statesmen, and others, no longer interest me. All that has been spoilt for me by the grind of stern reality. I think I'll leave it there. He saw spirits when he first Uh, came to Christminster and he was enchanted with them. All the great minds had walked those same streets and he thought he could almost see them and hear them, hear their words, hear their lectures. And he wanted to be one of them. If not a spirit, then at least a scholar. Now that he himself is half spirit, Now that he is walking those streets and is presently to join them, as he wished all those years ago, no longer has any interest in them. And that is also ironic. I say also, because in last episode, we talked a little bit about irony and how when you don't know what you're talking about, you just say things ironically, and then people think you're being ironic and you just agree with them. But that's Jude for you. I mean, he's just... He's seeing everything plain now, as plain as it can be. He is both of the earth and soon to be not of the earth. And he's saying goodbye to all that he once held dear. Sue, Mary Green, the church, the cobblestone streets of Christminster, and the echoes of the voices that once thundered around him. And he has no time. Not interested, says he. Be gone with you, you damnable statesmen, you theologians and metaphysicians. To hell with you all. I have been grinded to dust by my own aspirations. And now I see you and can tell you to your face, as they say in succession, fuck off. And so I'll leave it there with Jude about to meet his maker, and all of us waiting for him to do so. Will it be next episode? Perhaps, but we've only got a few episodes left, so surely within the next couple episodes, we're going to see the end of Jude and hear the last of his story. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't, why Did you make it all the way to the credits? Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.